0: Gonna watch it again again this week. We gotta fix that. Um, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter five. Um, we are going through the book of Exodus. Just an incredible book about God's deliverance of His children out of Egyptian bondage. And it's the second book of the Bible. And if you don't have a Bible or you didn't bring one with you today, you can grab one in the seat in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, you can take that. That's our gift for you. So please uh, take advantage of that. We are in this section as we're going through um, the book of Exodus, we're going to be running into this confrontation. Um, You've got God's call on Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And as we all know, that went really easy, right? Pharaoh said, Hey, no problem. Take all these Israelites, all my slave labor, and you can go and go worship God in the desert, right? That all worked out great, right? No, we know that there was this hardening of heart. Pharaoh said, no. So here we are in this story. God calls Moses. God does this incredible thing through this burning bush. He says, listen, I want you to go. I want you to deliver my people. And God's going to do this great work through Moses, Moses has to have faith. He has to believe that God is going to be the deliverer. But how many know that when God calls us to do something, it's not always just easy? How many know that there it takes a step of faith? That there's going to be trials. There's going to be obstacles. You're going to have to trust God through that whole season. And this is what Moses is encountering. He's going to have to really trust God through this because there's this. There's not this willingness. For Pharaoh to do this. So what you have is you don't have a confrontation necessarily between Moses and Pharaoh. It's going to be between Pharaoh and God. You're going to have these two wills. Pharaoh thinks he's sovereign. Pharaoh thinks he's divine. Pharaoh thinks he's in control. Pharaoh thinks that he rules all the Israelites and God says, I've got a different plan. And what I want you to see this morning is this is that we fight a battle every single day in our lives. And we have to understand that we live in a spiritual world and there's a fight over your soul every single day. And we have to know that there's an enemy behind everything that goes on that, that, that the, even Jesus said that the enemy, the devil himself says he's come into this world to kill, steal and destroy that, that, that his will is to come against the things of God and does not want you to serve the will of God. And so strategically there's, there's temptation and there's choices that we make every day that we can come against the will of God. And we understand that Jesus came to disarm uh, the powers of the enemy, that God is sovereign, that sin no longer has its reign over our lives for those that are in Christ Jesus. And here's the symbolic thing I want you to see about Egypt being in slavery under Pharaohs. God says, I'm going to take you out of that bondage so that I'm going to draw you to me. So that you may serve me and know me and find a joy that you would never find in Egypt. And so Egypt is our slavery. Egypt symbolizes slavery and bondage to those things of the world where God sends his son, the the ultimate Moses, to deliver us from the bonds of sin, to draw us to God through Christ that we may find freedom and joy. Amen. And there's freedom and there's ultimate freedom whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So that's why this book is so vital and so critical for us to understand. So let's jump right in the word of God here. Here we have this confrontation and let me, let me, let me tee this up for you. Moses is going to Pharaoh and he's, he's going to tell Pharaoh what he needs to do. And here's what God says. So I want you to see what Pharaoh says to Moses when he hears the plan the plan that God has for his people. So we're going to start and and we're going to jump through Exodus and then go to Exodus seven and and, and look at different chapters here at the beginning of Exodus. But I want to start here in Exodus five, two, here's what it says. Here's what Pharaoh says uh, to Moses. He says, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Let me ask you this question. How many you grew up with siblings? You had brothers or sisters? Okay. So many of you in this place had brothers and sisters. How many of you, you grew up in your family and you never got in fights? You just never got in fights with your siblings? Okay. We all got in fights, right? Everybody, if, especially if they're close to your age, everybody got in fights. Most fights in our house, because I had two sisters, I had a twin sister and an older sister. So automatically the odds were against me. Okay. So they would always gang up. Unbardent. Poor me, right? So here's what I have. Most fights um, that occurred in our house always stem from the fact that my sisters wanted me to do something that I didn't want to do. I don't want to play Barbies. I don't want to play bar, Okay, That's not my thing. I don't, I don't care if you make me play with Ken. I don't like Ken. I don't care if you have the Barbie Corvette. I don't want to play with the Barbie Corvette. And so that's why I would throw their Barbie dolls out the window and they'd walk in the room. I'd have have them hang. I I want, I hadn't hang them from the ceiling one time when I killed them. I was just a bad kid. Um, For those of you that had to babysit your siblings, this, this was a rough event because this is just a brutal time because parents would say this, your brother, your sister that were watching the younger siblings would say they are in charge when we leave the house. How many realize that always worked out real well, right? And so, and, and there was this one phrase that would happen when, when brothers and sisters or whatever and the struggle would begin to occur. And, and then the brother and sister would say, Hey, you got to listen to me because mom and dad said, said, I'm in charge. And then what would be the response back to that older brother and sister would always be this, you're not the boss of me. How many heard that saying? You're not, you're not the boss of me. So you're not. So here, if we're going to look at the struggle in Exodus, we're going to look at it this way. The struggle we see in this first section of the book of Exodus is this. You're not the boss of me. In fact, I should have made that the title of my message. You're not the boss of me. Cause that's basically what Pharaoh was saying. So God calls Moses and his brother to speak to the most powerful man on earth, Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, who's made the Israelites his slave through excruciating manual labor. Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they say this, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel. I think they actually said it like that. I think they did. It's real authoritative, right? And he says, let my people go. See, I think when you add the word thus says, it makes it sound a lot more authoritative, doesn't it? Can you imagine parents doing that when you say to your kids, you would say something like this, speaking King James language, you would say like your father would say to you, thus says your father, go take out the garbage. Thus says your mother, go do the dishes. Thus says your father, go do your homework, right? See, there's this authoritative voice and Pharaoh doesn't get it. First is I don't care who the Lord is. And so they say this to Pharaoh and what does he say? He says he's not the boss of me. Uh-oh. And what is what is going on here? Pharaoh is actually reacting to many people and how they react today. I want you to notice something here. Is it necessarily that Pharaoh is actually against them worshiping God? I don't think he really cares. Here's the apathetic attitude of Pharaoh. I don't care what you do as long as your God doesn't bother me. See, I don't think he's really against them worshiping God as long as they're still doing what he wants them to do and he doesn't have to let them go out into the desert. I don't care. You can worship whatever you got, whatever God you want because, 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 What's very similar to Egypt, what's very similar today, is we live in a very pluralistic society. Pharaoh is not offended by the God of Israel. In fact, Egypt had 114 gods. If you want to worship your God, I don't don't care. See, in our day and age, most people are not offended by a belief in God or that we even follow Jesus. Most people would not be offended by that. Many would think that whatever helps you, that's fine. You can worship, that's fine. You've ever heard that? Whatever you ever heard someone say patronizing you and you're like, man, I need the Lord. I'm going. And they said, that's good for you. I'm, I'm glad for you. I'm glad that that works for you. If you need a crutch and Jesus is your crutch, then that's good for you. You ever heard somebody say that to you? I'm like, yeah, I do need a crutch. I need a crutch. I need a sling. I need a cast. I need everything. I need help. And I need Jesus, but they make this Patriot, whatever works for you. So they're not necessarily offended. They're just like, you go do your thing and I'll do my thing. See, most people aren't offended by that. See, what is the struggle for Pharaoh? And what is the struggle in our world today? It's, it's not so much if we have a belief, here's where the rub comes in. Here's where the rub comes. Are you ready? I don't want your God to have any authority over me. That's where the rub comes in. It's fine to believe that you want to believe, but when your God tells me how to live my life, we've got a problem. And so now what they're coming is saying, no, 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 Pharaoh, here's the problem. Our God has authority over you and he wants us to be led into the wilderness to worship him. Now the rub comes in because he's saying, wait a minute, I don't want your God to have authority over me. I don't want your God to have sovereignty over me. It's fine that you believe that. But when your God tells me how to live my life, then we have a problem. In reality, in reality, Pharaoh is much like the attitude that we see in our world today. In reality, we don't want anyone to be the boss of me. Interesting poem. Many of you may know this poem, Invictus by William Ernest Henley, written in the late 1800s. And it reads this, and I'll read the last part of the, because it really speaks to the heart of man, what we see in the heart of Pharaoh. I'll read the last part of the, and many of you will know the poem once I read it, but I'll read the the last half of the poem. It says this, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. You remember that that poem, right? Um, and a lot of leaders have quoted this. Uh, many people that have done evil in our world have quoted this as their mantra, as their motto. See, the problem here is, speaking no matter how straight the gate. Basically, um, William Ernest Henley is pulling that from the Bible when Jesus says, "Narrow is the gate, wide is the road that many take, but lead to destruction." And basically what he's saying, it doesn't matter how straight you walk. It doesn't matter the punishment of the scroll. It doesn't matter how much charges you have against you, how much sin you've committed. At the end of the day, you're in control of your life. See, we ultimately want to be in control. For Pharaoh, he didn't want anyone telling him what he could or couldn't do. Pharaoh's question is, who is the Lord and why should I obey him? Pharaoh's question it's pretty interesting here because at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves who really is in control. Am I in control of my life? Cause that's what we want. We want everything to be about what we do, how we control our future, what kind of school we go to, what type of person we're going to marry, what kind of job we want. We want to be in control. But at the end of the day, are we really in control as we thought we were? Cause at the end of the day, At the end of the day, we're not as in control as we think we are. See, Pharaoh's question is an important question. Who is the Lord and why should I obey him? And the question would be answered through the 10 plagues. So as we jump into this part of Exodus, we're going to look at the plagues. And what's interesting about the plagues is this. Many people think the plagues are just God's judgment on Egypt. These horrible plagues is just God's judgment to change Pharaoh's heart so that he would let God's people go. But I want you to see there's something a lot more going on here in the 10 plagues than just God's judgment. And we'll see God's judgment here being played out. But what I want you to see is God is saying, listen, I'm going to show you through these plagues. I'm going to show you who the Lord is. I'm going to show you that you're not as in control. Now you've created this whole worship system. People worship you. You've created all these created gods that seem to control the universe that control the Nile that control the growth season that control the growing season. You created this whole worship system, but I'm going to show you that I'm above all of that. And I'm going to show you that even though you may think you're the most powerful nation in the earth, I'm the one that raises up leaders. I'm the one that takes down leaders. And this is the biggest struggle in everybody's life is who are you going to serve? Bob Dylan wrote a song called You Gotta Serve Somebody. It's a great song because at the end of the day, you're going to serve something. As in control as you think you are, you are going to serve something. And so what do we see here? So the question would be answered through the 10 plagues. So I'm going to look at Exodus chapter 7. And here is what God says. Here's what the Lord says to Moses. And he says this, and we're going to see the reason behind the plagues and why God brings plagues. And we're going to kind of dive into the plagues a little bit here and and, and what was the purpose for each one? Because there is very symbolic meaning between each of the 10 plagues. So starting with Exodus chapter seven, it says, and the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you. the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out my people of Israel from among them so basically from chapter Exodus chapter 7 through 12 we can see God sending his judgment on Pharaoh through the plagues and i want to look at specifically that God is sending his judgment but he's doing something very specific through these judgments. And so if we look at the 10 plagues, we see the first one, as you read through the word of God, there was turning the Nile into blood. The second was all the frogs. The third was the gnats. The fourth was the flies. The fifth plague was the livestock dies. Six with boils. Seventh was hail. Eighth was locusts. Ninth was darkness. And then the 10th plague, as we see through the Passover was the death of the firstborn. Now, what was the purpose of these nine plagues? And why didn't God just go to the 10th plague and just be done with it? Now, why did you have to go through all these plagues? Why did you have to go through all these 10 plagues? Why don't you just go through all? Why don't you just forego the nine plagues? Just go right to the Passover and be, and be done with it. Well, God would answer that question in chapter nine. Here's what God says in Exodus chapter nine, verses 15 through 16. He said, for by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God is going to show them through the plagues. Who is the Lord? Now, Pharaoh, you asked the question, who's the Lord and why should I serve him? Through these nine plagues and the 10th plague of the Passover, God is going to say, you are going to find out who the Lord is. And so why did God send the plagues? Let's answer this question. Why did God send the plagues? Here's the place. If you're looking at your notes, you can follow along there in your bulletins. But the plagues would demonstrate God's power and his power over the gods of Egypt. Okay? So, So through the plagues, God is going to demonstrate his power and the power of the gods of Egypt. They think they're the most powerful nation in the world. They follow all these different 114 different deities and gods that, that, that they serve and that they manipulate and they think that they're running the world. And so there's something we can learn about the plagues. You see the plagues reveal the God who sent them. And so what the plagues would do is they would unravel the pluralistic religious system of Egypt So that's what's going to happen there. The plagues would literally unravel the pluralistic religious system of Egypt. That God would say, "Mm -mm, there's just one God, one God over this, that will ultimately rule and be sovereign over everything. So through each plague, you're going to see this unraveling of the gods. And what it's going to do, it's going to unravel their faith that they've built up, that they began to worship themselves. And so the plagues would reveal that there is only one true God. And what God would do is, is he would go right to the heart of Egypt's power. And at the heart of Egypt's power through the first plague was the Nile. The Nile was the source of everything. The Nile is what brought them prosperity, the Nile would flood and make the lands fertile so they could have crops. Without this, this, this it's a very arid area, elsewise it would just dry up. And so the Nile, they worship the Nile. They're the gods of the Nile, everything about Egypt's power, wealth, life came from the Nile. Many of their gods would have their source from the Nile river. And so God, through the plagues, would reveal that the gods of Egypt were powerless against the God of Egypt. And so methodically he's going to go through this and he's going to show what watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to one by one unravel your source of what you think is power. And I'm going to dismantle that through these plagues to show you that actually the God of Israel has the power over all of them. So let me go through a couple of these for you to show what God does. What we see is this first Um, plague of, of, of turning the Nile into, to, to blood. One of Egypt's gods was this God of fertility. It's, it's the God Happe. And this, this God was actually the God of the annual flood. And so this God was closely associated with the Nile and without the Nile, there would be no fertility in Egypt. So it's interesting that God's First plague that he would send would be to turn the Nile into blood. It's not your source anymore. You can't use it. And so here's this first plague turning the Nile into blood. Another fertility God was Heket, which was this God that had actually a head of a frog. And so what does God do? He sends frogs to show that he's in control of the frogs. There was another God, um, And this god was in the sign of a of a bull. And the bull for Egypt is is a sign of fertility. You'll you'll see the bull in many Canaanite um, societies. It was fertility, it was power, it was strength. Um, In fact, bull gods were worshipped all over Egypt. And we see through this, through through the plague that God would actually kill the livestock. And so there was no power in this bull that, that that, that God would actually kill the, the livestock and the livestock would die through one of the plagues. They had other goddesses that were supposed to heal boils and prevent hail and stop wind that brought the locust, but none of them could do that. They were powerless against the God of Israel. Only God could stop it. They actually believed that each day the sun, God, Ray sailed through the celestial sea and at night descended into another world only to rise again. And through the ninth plague, we see God sending darkness, God's judgment of darkness during the ninth plague, would show that he was truly in control of creation. And so what the plagues would do is each plague would erode the foundation of their belief. Each plague would erode the foundation of their belief. And even by the end of these plagues, the officials in the court of Pharaoh would wave the white flag and say, Pharaoh, we surrender. (laughs) We're done. See, I want you to notice something here. What's interesting about the plagues, it actually shows something very interesting here. I want you to notice that the plagues show God's creation actually in reverse. Here's what's interesting about this. The water that should bring life no longer brings life because it turned into blood darkness. There's no light. There's no animals. Instead of animals serving us, they bring us harm and destruction. Everything goes back to the chaotic state. Like we see in Genesis chapter one, verse two. And so we see God's creation in reverse. The very thing that they're worshiping. That's why God says in Romans one, the judgment upon the world is this, that man took the created things that God created. And they did what they began to worship the creation and not the creator. Now you may think pastor, come on. We live in 2017. We're not running around worshiping Ray and Apis. And all these other guys, come on. Well, we're we're more civilized. We're smart. Well, we we've got knowledge now, right? So, what do we begin to worship now? We begin to worship ourselves and our knowledge, and thinking that we've got creation and how the origins of life started, and in our futile attempt in our infinite minds, we think that we've figured it out, right? And what God ends up doing? is baffling the minds of those who think they are so smart. And God says, oh yeah, you think you're so smart? What about this? What about this? What? You, you can't, there, there's, no, there's no answer for naturalistic evolution to ever come up with the answers of the origins of life. There's no answer for it. They have no answer. Because when you go there, you have to get to the point to where you look at the universe and have to get to the point. And many scientists are, are jumping on board with this that there's some order to this universe. There's some design. There is a design behind you. It's not chaotic. It's not, there's some design. And so if you look behind the design, that means there's a, a designer. No watch says to itself, Oh, I just created myself and I put myself on your wrist. Enjoy the time. There has to be a watchmaker that set that watch that set the time that put it into motion. And so we as humans have this futile attempt that we think we can figure that out. And so what God says is the futility of the human mind says, we're going to worship the creation. And that's what Egypt did. They began to worship the created things and not the creator. And so what God does is he kind of sets everything in reverse order to show the destruction that his creation brings on Egypt. Now, everything goes back to this chaotic state. Literally, Egypt is unmade. They thought they were a made society. Look at us. We are all powerful. We are the strongest nation in earth. No one can defeat us. Look at our wealth, look at our power and now through these nine plagues God unmakes, unmade Egypt, showing the very things that you worship has now brought destruction to you. Isn't that interesting? So Pharaoh and the world he thought that he was so in control of has all fallen apart. The things that they worshiped could not save them. The gods that they worshiped could not save them. And that's exactly what happens when we worship the created things and not the creators. Idols will never deliver what they promise. And it's interesting when you look at brilliant minds and those that have created brilliant things. Um, how many have an iPhone? Raise your hand if you've got an iPhone. I'm sorry for you. Go to Samsung, much better phone. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'm, a Sam, I'm a Samsung man. I'm just, can't, my, rest of my family, iPhones, I don't get it. That's okay. Everybody's got their thing, right? Um, you, you see the founder of Apple, Steve Jobs. What's interesting about Steve Jobs is that he was miserable, And this guy was a creator and the founder of Apple. Miserable. Tom Brady, I don't know, he's won like 18 million Super Bowls. Um, I hate the Patriots because they're in the same division as the Buffalo Bills, so you just can't like them. Great quarterback. Why? Anyways, I've got a prediction for the Bills this year. Here's my prediction. Are you Ready? I don't think they're going to win more than four games. That's my prediction. Okay. I just, I'm not feeling good. I'm just not feeling good. Let's pray. Oh, Lord help the Bills. Oh. I do like the new coach, by the way. I do like the coach. Okay. That's enough of that. But what's interesting about this, is great, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Tom Brady's a great quarterback, one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. And after one of the Super Bowls, he said to himself, is this it? Is this it? You see, we look at the world and at these achievements and we think to ourselves, well, this is the apex. If I can just get to this level and then we get there and then we think, well, is this it? See, that's the futility of human thinking. We think that the things of this world are ultimately going to serve us and make us happy. But when we get there, guess what? We find out it's not what it was supposed to be. And so for Egypt, they had to find out the hard way. For for Pharaoh, he had to find out the hard way. Who is the Lord? I'm going to show you who I am. And it's not in these things. See, for us, we do the same thing. Who's the Lord? Why should I serve? And all of a sudden, we begin to serve these idols, begin to serve the created things. And then we get there, and we serve those things, and we're like, this isn't what I expected it to be. See, what God shows us, through the plagues is that the things of this world would never truly satisfy us and never truly bring us life. Here's the other thing that's very interesting about the plagues. So let's talk about, so we see this power that God shows superior to over the gods, the gods of Egypt. And we see God's judgment there and showing them that I am the God. I am the only God. But there's something other. There's another interesting thing with the plagues. Um, as everything disintegrated around Pharaoh, everything begins to disintegrate around Pharaoh. There's something interesting about God's people. God would actually make a way for His people, though. This is inter- as everything disintegrates around Pharaoh. God would make a way for his people. So as you begin to go through some of the plagues, it's it's interesting how God begins to protect those that have put their trust in the Lord. Exodus 8, 22 and 23 says this, but on this day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell. So here's where the Israelites dwell. They dwelled in the land of Goshen. And he says this so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a what a division a separation between my people and your people tomorrow. This sign shall happen. It's interesting that we see this protection of God also in the fifth, seventh, ninth and tenth plague. The only place of safety was Goshen, Goshen, where the Israelites lived. And Goshen was spared from God's judgment. So the question we have to ask ourselves, what is this a picture of? Why did God spare his people? Well, I want you to see this is a picture of Christ and what he has done for us. What we need to understand about Jesus in his life is that he is our only safety from God's judgment because he took God's judgment on the cross for us. There was a protection that God placed around his people. And we'll get more into this in the next coming weeks when we look at the Passover because the Passover is so interesting to study. Because the Passover is completely fulfilled in Christ Jesus, our Passover lamb. So in the Passover, in the 10th plague, they were, to, they were to apply the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their home. And when the angel of death came through Egypt, when the angel of death saw the blood, it did what? It passed over. And no judgment or death came to that house. Anyone, anyone, Israelite or not an Israelite that was under the blood was what? Protected from God's judgment. This is a fulfillment of Jesus being the ultimate sacrificial lamb for you and I. That through Jesus' blood, we're going to, that's why we're taking communion. That's why communion is so important to take. We recognize that it's only through the blood of Christ and through his sacrifice that we are spared from God's judgment. So here's what God does. God spares them and God spares us through Christ. So here's what we need to understand. God, how many of you understand that God judges everyone? Yeah. There's no one special. I know that. I know you're told you're a snowflake. and Everybody's individual. all wonderful. Yes, we're special, right? At the end of the day, all of us are objects of God's wrath. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of God's perfection, God's glory. So in order to appease God's holiness and his holy standard, there has to be a sacrifice, a penalty made for our sin. And so what God does for us is something that we can't do for ourselves. So what God does, he says, listen, I'm going to send my son who's perfect, who is God. And I'm going to have him die the death that we should have died, a substitutionary death. And there's this word in some translations called propitiation. I like that better than some translations than atonement, even though Jesus is our atonement and he covers us. But the word propitiation takes on a deeper meaning. What Jesus actually does is he becomes our propitiation, which means this, not only does he cover us through his blood, through his atonement, through his life, but propitiation takes on the meaning of wrath. Jesus actually took on the wrath of God that should have been poured out on us. The judgment that should have been poured out on us was poured out upon his son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The judgment that should have been poured out because of our sin and our filth and our disobedience was now poured out upon his son, Jesus. Jesus is now our propitiation. So Jesus takes on on the wrath of God he 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 it, propitiation means to appease wrath it appeased god's judgment so he is our only safety from god's judgment because he took god's judgment for us on the cross literally listen to me as we close as we wrap this thing up listen to me literally jesus took the plagues of god's judgment for us with Christ, we are saved. Jesus is our goshen. Amen. Jesus is our protection. Under the blood, we are protected from God's judgment. That's the only place to be. So, what God would show Pharaoh is that I'm going to protect my people, not because they were special, not because they're not because they weren't sinless. How many you know Israel wasn't perfect? We're going to see that when they get into the wilderness. How many of you know we're not perfect either? Amen? Amen? We need a savior. We need to place ourselves in that place of protection. I want to go back as I close to the poem Invictus. Invictus is a Latin word which means unconquered unconquered William Ernest Henley who wrote Invictus had major major health issues had to have his leg amputated died at an early age was an atheist and he thought that he could turn to himself that he was sovereign that ultimately we are in control. And I think that's why so many people lift up that poem. They said, yeah, we're the mass. We, we're it. You're in control of your destiny. You're All these things. And how many know that we get to the end of our lives in many situations that break us. We're like, yeah, I don't, I'm not as in control as I thought I was. John Bloom says this, in Christ, he is the master of our fate. He is the captain of our soul. And we. when he is the master of our fate and the captain of our soul, we have nothing to fear. So here's, as we go to communion today, where's your soul? Where's your life? What are you trusting? You might be here and you might might be a follower of Jesus Christ and you're even saying, you know, pastor, there there are... There are things and situations in my life that I'm just doubting God and I'm, 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 I am walking in fear. And I would say, who is ultimately in control of your life? We have a sovereign God who is ultimately in control of everything and we can trust him that he's going to take care of it. Now, it may not be the way we think or how we want it to be, but ultimately when I put my trust in my life in the hands of Jesus... I have nothing to fear. Jesus has conquered the grave. He's prepared a place for me. He's preparing a place for me in heaven. He conquered sin and death. He took God's judgment for me. Where is your hope today? Is your hope in the things of this world? Or is your hope in the one who conquered this world? man, if I'm the master of my fate, Barden Drace, and I'm the master of my soul, we got problems. <laughs> I've got a lot of problems because I mess things up way too much. Put your trust in the hope in the one who overcame the grave. See, this is why we celebrate communion because what we're doing is we're remembering what Jesus did for us. We're remembering that Jesus, you conquered everything for us. So where is your life? Have you placed it in Goshen? Are you under the hand of God? Are you under the blood of Christ? Or are you trusting that hopefully, I'm wishful thinking, I'm hoping these things work out as long as I'm strong enough and I believe hard enough in myself, and in my abilities, these things will go out. Well, you're going to be devastatingly wrong at the end. That's a scary place to be. I don't want to put my fate in my hands. I don't want to put the control of my life in my hands. I want to put them in the one who created me. And that's what God showed Pharaoh. I'm creator. I'm the one who's done all these. It's only through my power that any of these things have done. And that's a humbling thing, isn't it? For us to admit as humans that we're not in control as we think we are, it's a humbling thing. But it's a freeing thing to realize that when I relinquish control to God through his son, Jesus Christ, it frees us from all the bondage that we've placed our life into. So as we go to the table of the Lord today, I want to pray for you. And and maybe there's something that you're just struggling with today or maybe something you're going through today that has just weighed your heart down. I just want you to know that God is in control. Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. Nothing is going to change that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He will never leave you or forsake you. Those are the promises that we stand on in times of fear, in times of doubt, in times of we're not sure how things are going to work out. Those are the things that are rock solid that never change that we put our hope in today. So put your hope in those things and not on what you see. So Lord, I just pray for every heart here today. Lord, you know where they're at. You know what they're struggling with. You know the, our fears. You know the things that we battle with. I pray that we would be reminded that God, you are sovereign and that ultimately you are in control. Help us to relinquish that control to you today and I thank you that your word is so good. Your word says, as Paul even tells us, listen, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about any, anything, but in everything with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, make your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God, help us to be a people of faith, not worry, not doubt, but of faith, not in my faith, not in my faith, but in the person who's conquered it for me, and that's Jesus Christ. May our faith be strengthened today because Jesus has conquered the grave and now sits at the right hand of the Father. God, allow us to put our faith in that today. So we thank you, Lord. And I just pray that you would just encourage every heart here today. And as we sing this unto you, God, may it just well inside of us that you are in control. We love you. We thank you. And we just ask these things in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen ushers are going to come. They're going to serve you this morning. Please wait to the end. We'll take communion together as a a family of God and and just, just worship the Lord as ushers serve you. God bless you.